0: I'm Antonio Tijerino, host of the Fritanga Podcast, a cultural convening where we celebrate the beautiful complexities of our community, as well as find comfort, understanding, connection, information, and action to move forward with greater unity. In today's episode, we dive deep into a topic that resonates deeply within our comunidad the role of Latino influence and representation in media and entertainment. And joining us to talk about that is my friend Stacy de Armas, who is the Senior Vice President of Inclusive Insights and Initiatives and a true leader within Nielsen's diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. With more than two decades of experience, Stacy is a leading expert in shaping the narrative of diversity and inclusion in the media landscape. She has also worked closely with Hispanic Heritage Foundation's LOF program to bring more Latinos into the field of big data, tech, research, and the corporate world in general. I have witnessed firsthand how Stacy has mentored, supported, and championed young professionals at Nielsen, and she understands the great value we bring to any bottom line. On this pod, we'll explore the methodology behind data collection, the evolution of Latino viewing habits, and the impact of a changing media platform. We'll also gain insight into Stacy's journey and her pivotal role in ensuring accurate representation within the Latino community. Stacy's extensive career includes serving as co-chair of the Research Committee for the Association of National Advertisers Alliance for Inclusive Multicultural Marketing and being a board member of the Hispanic Marketing Council and Google's 21st Century Multicultural Marketing Council. Her expertise shines through in her inclusive thought leadership and groundbreaking research initiatives. Whether you're a media enthusiast or passionate about fostering diversity and representation, I ask you to listen up and prepare to get inspired and informed by Stacey de Armas. Hey, familia, I have a quick favor to ask. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review Fritanga on your favorite podcast platform. Also, make sure to share it with anyone you know that you think would be interested. In what we cover. And connect with HHF on social media to share your thoughts, feedback, and let us know what gives you comfort in our culture. All right, Stacy, wonderful to have you on Fritanga Podcast. Let's give you a chance to introduce yourself to our listeners and how you came to be involved in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Nielsen at a time people are scared to say the words diversity, equity, and inclusion anywhere.
1: Isn't that the truth? Um, hola. It's so good to see you, Antonio. I hope I get a chance to talk a little bit about how we are connected. And thank you for having me on Fritanga. I am Stacey de Admas, and I work at Nielsen. Nielsen is often known for our television and media ratings, but we do a lot more. I work in DEI, and i focus on thought leadership. That means taking a look at all of the trends that I see around media and entertainment, specifically around Latinos, Latino-led content. Latino inclusion in front of and behind the camera, what audiences want to see, and help build stories that inform marketers and brands and media companies that are looking to green light content, acquire content, what Latinos uh, like to watch, why we like to watch it, how to engage with us authentically, and importantly for brands who want to be within that content with their advertising where the best place to be is. We have a connection as well, you and I, and I'd love to talk a little bit about that if I have the opportunity. I think it speaks to how deeply connected we are with the community and trying to understand what really matters.
0: And I appreciate that connection because representation is so important. And I just want to talk about, as a Latina, the additional responsibility that you've had on your shoulders in terms of representation, but also in the authenticity of the work that's being produced, whether it's a report, whether it's... Uh, representing us in different rooms that we normally wouldn't be in if it wasn't for you. And also an an example of the commitment. So this is the part that we know each other. Yes, I I wanna mention your commitment that happens behind the scenes. I've sent several lofties over to you from our network. You've been such a gracious mentor and champion for them, including making them feel like they belong, which is such a big part of everything. And we need more Latinos in media and entertainment. In other words, we need more Stacey's representing us in these spaces. So can you talk about that additional responsibility and being able to represent the community beyond your job?
1: Sure. Um, uh, and thank you for asking me that. And I'm excited to talk about um, your lofty. So first, the connection that we have with Hispanic Heritage Foundation was rather organic, and we did formalize it a, a few years ago. So what is fantastic for your listeners to know is you have been a very important part, you and Hispanic Heritage Foundation, a very important part of our Nielsen journey. So we're grateful you have sat for us for many years on what we call our External Advisory Council. So part of the work that we do at Nielsen, of course, is we do The work of measuring and understanding what people are watching and sharing it with brands and advertisers, but we also have community outreach, and we also want to make sure that we have the best and brightest advocacy leaders in the industry helping advise us behind the scenes at Nielsen on whether or not you know things. They can be things as simple as the translation of our materials to our strategic outreach to the reports that we put out every year, and I have one here. and so, uh, we want to thank you for your service to us for many years behind the scenes, ensuring that we're doing the right things that if there need to be corrections or edits that you know we have your voice in the room very honestly, and frankly reminding us of our you know responsibilities and obligations and part of that I'll reference was the work that we did around twenty twenty census and the citizenship question when that came up, mm-hmm. our advisors, including you, were very vocal that Nielsen should be out in front speaking on behalf of not asking that question of it, and of the damage that it would do not only to the community, but to the quality of the data collection. And subsequently, everyone who uses census data for a basis for their business, whether it's for hiring, whether it's funding for public schools, or whether it's for measuring media like us. So we're grateful for you and the work that you do. And I guess the other tiny story that you sort of sprinkled in there Uh, Was your lofty. So I am proud to say that you've not only funneled amazing talent to us, but one of the most important advancements that Nielsen has had over the past really five years, certainly at least four, uh, came directly from, and when I say Nielsen, I mean Nielsen as an entire company, not just a division, has come directly from one of the lofties that you sent us or one of your your fellows, in it um, is a wonderful woman. Her name is Veronica Hernandez, and she came to us from you. And she ended up being the product founder of what we call Inclusion Analytics. And it's a remarkable tool that uh, helps us understand in front of and behind the camera representation of Latinos and of other identity groups as well. This has really been, and at a time that was so critical following the summer of 2020, the murder of George Floyd, there was a real focus on representation in media and our stories being told. And this amazing a human who you brought to us really helped us figure out how to operationalize and productize that. And she still sits in that role today as um, the product owner. So thank you. Uh, our relationship now, with you has been enriched by, by your presence and the connections that you've brought to us.
0: You made a huge impact on her. And I... I'm thanking you for that because you have to believe in someone. You have to make someone feel like they belong. Like I said, uh, imposter syndrome is real, Mm, especially from certain backgrounds. She's a very special person and leader because that's going to manifest itself in different ways, like what you're saying, but she needed someone championing her and believing in her and making her feel welcomed. You did that and continue to do that and I will never thank you enough for that because the impact you had is going to bear fruit with everyone that she's going to turn around and impact so Veronica shout out
1: if you're listening okay. we love you I still <laughs> I, I still work and love uh, so work with and speak to almost every day certainly every week multiple times she's um, uh, one of my treasured colleagues and she is so smart so innovative so we appreciate her and appreciate you very much for helping us find, you know, talent and really for being a channel for talent and a voice for the community.
0: Talent is everywhere. So it's just a question of being able to hand them off to somebody that's going to recognize that and nurture it. Okay. So Nielsen has been around forever. And I know pop culture is peppered with references to the company and, and its ratings, but this isn't the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. So can you talk about how Nielsen has evolved. It's more of a tech company trading and insights data and analytics now. I mean, and Nielsen can actually shape and impact media and entertainment industry overall. So talk about Nielsen as a company, its purpose and its impact.
1: Sure. Uh, so when we are celebrating our 100 year anniversary, actually this year, and so uh, we have been around quite a bit, but wow. like everything, we've evolved quite a bit. I know that sounds like a very long time, but we are a completely new company Today, we do um, a lot has changed. So, first, I'll focus on what we are mostly known for, which is the understanding of consumer behavior, what people watch, what people listen to, uh, and a little bit about what people buy, right? But we do that mostly through our brand impact work. Within the Hispanic community, there is, you know, this is a community we have focused on for a very, very long time. And I'm proud to say, In that around prior, of course, to 1964, but I was able to, in my looking through uh, sort of our archives and microfiche, find that as early as the 60s, we were making efforts to better define and represent. Did you just say
0: microfiche?
1: Yes, I did. I know, I feel bad. (laughs) The young listeners don't know what that is, but uh, look it up, Google it, it's a thing. (laughs) Uh, And uh, uh, in going back through all of our old records, I was able to find that we have strongly focused on specifically the Latino community and others. But since we're talking about the Latino community, you know, er, er, some of the records that I found were dated in the early 60s. So I was really proud to know that Nielsen has a very long commitment to the community and making sure that that, uh, the community is best represented in our work. Simply put, what we do today is measure and help marketers and media companies understand what people are watching and how that can have an impact on on their respective businesses. In thought leadership we do a little bit more than that in my group and it's more than just talking about what people watch but the drivers behind what people are watching, where people are spending their time. And interestingly, I'll tell you Antonio when we think about the Latino community, a lot of the trends that we see, uh, in the general market are first adopted, and we know this, we, we, we say this all the time, right, in our speeches and our remarks, but the data is so clear, are first adopted among the Latino community. This year, the Latino community spends about 49% of its time with television on streaming, which is higher than the total market. And actually, it has been for a few years. Um, when Nielsen announced about two years ago that streaming had overtaken broadcast and linear, or linear television, and when I looked at that, I thought, huh, this happened for the Latino communities like three years before, mm-hmm. uh, before we made this announcement that it had taken over for general viewership. We're also
0: younger as an audience.
1: Yep. Younger, so more connected to to digital yep. devices and more willing to receive content and seek content on platforms that speak to us, speak to us authentically, have trust signals for us. You know, I'm, I'm proud of being able to do this work and carry it to brands because we we deserve the attention of brands, the investment of brands. We deserve R&D around products from brands specifically designed for us. And not just because we deserve it, but even if you look at us it, just on paper, you know, we're the, the largest uh, minority population in the U.S. We have the most children being born. We are growing the most in cities. We're making the biggest, the you know, the most significant contributions and entrepreneurial um, entrepreneurial statistics and in, in academic um, attainment statistics. So it is to a brand's favor to authentically work with our community and develop relationships that they can leverage on behalf of their brands later it's to their favor but it's also you know an opportunity for us i think today there are limited brands that are reaching out to us authentically and reaching out to us with with products designed for us with services designed for us whether it's you know mobile or or whatever and we deserve the opportunity to have a variety of products and services that are designed for us.
0: Yeah, but yet, Stacey, I, 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 there's a disparity between the proportion of ad spends allocated
1: mm-hmm. to
0: Hispanic media and the number, you know, uh, reaching out our popul- versus our population. And that bothers me when you look at a breakdown. I know it's better than it was, but it's still not up to par with the growth of our community. So, Absolutely. can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know that the work that you do is to make sure that these companies understand where their investment should go from a business proposition, not from a right thing to do. And mm-hmm. that is so important. But we've got to at least get on par. If we're, I just always feel like we're an afterthought and undervalued. As a community, in a lot of different industries, and specifically in media and entertainment, in the terms of this conversation,
1: yeah. Period. I mean, you you said it, and I, I, you know, nothing I say is going to change that. That's what a lot of the data say today. But that is exactly what we are trying to change. And you know, you brought up the fact that it it should just be a, a good business decision. It shouldn't be about being the right thing to do. That's one of the things we try and illustrate with our work. And what we say is, it's not about brown; it's about green. And so when we try and put it in business terms for, um, you know, for brands and media companies, this is about growing your business for 2.0, for the next stage. How are you going to grow your business over the next 10, 15, 20 years? That's the question, irrespective of race, of, uh, you know, ethnicity, just how are you going to grow? And if you're doing any business plan, you're looking for key demographic groups that are ripe for growth and opportunity right? If you are looking at knowing that you have 58% of the community of Latinos that are under the age of 34, that's a lot. That's significant compared to any other group. You have more than half, way more than half under the age of 34. This is a very young group. So, and you're introducing a new product. You want to build a relationship uh, to help carry your brand through the next 20 years. It just makes good business sense yeah. To start with this community, right, irrespective of the right thing to do, ensuring that you have uh, you're you know reaching multiple demographic groups. Now, of course, we want them to do the right thing, we want them to want to do that. But if the conversation today, especially in the economic times, is really about growth and revenue, then it still makes perfect sense to ensure that we're diving deep, you know, with this community. So part of the work, Antonio, to answer your question directly, is the stories that we create, the reports, is um. To illuminate these facts via case studies, via data and statistics for brands, media companies, advocacy groups, marketers, so that they can, you know, have in not my opinion or what, you know, one piece of information says, but really a body of work that supports that this is absolutely the way to grow your business. And when those businesses grow, we all do better. Having the focus on the Latino community, it's beyond obvious at this point why it hasn't happened sooner. I'm sure you're thinking and your listeners oh, are thinking.
0: Yeah. It, it drives me crazy because I think of the 2000 census when we were at that point recognized as the largest minority group in the country. And I remember thinking everything's going to change now that was 23 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there was a 2010 census and even more growth. And now it's really going to change. So I am very hopeful that the work that you do and the illuminating and the educating that you can do around this is very important. And I have to say, when dealing with data, please know how important it is that your findings and insights are to institutions and nonprofits like Hispanic Heritage Foundation. It's our salvo because we're trying to figure out, number one, how to better serve our communities, and that data helps us, but also contextualize with our funders and partners on how we need to address these needs and wants of our community, and you're able to present that. So you're actually telling our stories through data, which is remarkable. And the better that we can be positioned to be a part of that narrative because everyone we deal with and everyone in this world now, everything has to be data driven. So the need for data is insatiable. So can you talk about actually getting that data, just overall the methodology and then uniquely dealing with the Latino community, which is woefully underrepresented and wrongfully represented, including by the census, which was playing those dirty games. And, and that's so important because it sets, it sets the standard for the next 10 years until you do another census and and you're kind of stuck with the data that you collected. So can you talk about the kind of challenges, but also unique opportunities and reaching out to the Latino community to collect that data?
1: So one of the most important things to us as we're doing this work is building trust within the Latino community. It is foundational to our work at Nielsen. And that's why, as I mentioned earlier, going back into our archives, I was so proud to see we have a long history of this before it was cool Before it was a thing, we understood very early on that engaging right, properly with the community on the right topics and the right matters and in the right way was going to be important to a quality sample. It's something we prioritize every step of the way. So we work from working with individual panelists to working with the community. We care deeply all year round. And that means working with, again, like advocacy groups like yours, universities and students, Uh, And it also means when we're building trust with the community, it means being present when it may not be popular to do so or it may not be at the top of other businesses agendas. So you mentioned the citizenship question around census 2020. Not only did Nielsen was Nielsen among the first companies to publicly speak out against it, but we also testified in Congress about the issues with that census. Additionally, in October of 2019, we filed a a brief a friend of the court brief on behalf of the Dream Act. And that again is something that is, you know, not necessarily related directly to the collection and, and of our data and media reporting, but it is indirectly because mm-hmm. we we do, you know, we want to do what's right by the community and we want to build trust with the community and part of that means being present for issues and things like this. So we have a strong relationship with the community and that's sort of our our first step. When it comes to data collection and what we do, I, it's it can get very complex very quickly, but I'll give you the high level. There are two parts of this work today that we do. And of course we have what we call differential survey treatments or... or Special treatments that we have for Latino communities based on a whole host of things, sort of, you know, where people live, whether or not they're young men in the home and all, all of the things. We want to make sure that we have a good understanding of where our panel is and where we need to uh, make adjustments to ensure we have the right quality panel in place. So we take all of those steps and they can get complicated. But at a high level, we have about 41,000 households, more Uh, a little bit more, 41,000 plus households across the U.S. that represent, you know, more than 100,000 people. And that's our panel. And right away, people might be thinking, wow, that represents the whole U.S. Maybe that's, you know, not enough, or maybe it's too much, you know, however people feel about the panel. But the panel we use to calibrate our second set of data, which is called big data. And so Mm -hmm. in addition to panels where we know what people within the home and as they're moving about, are consuming on their devices, on their home television. We also have big data that comes to us directly from from media companies. So we have all that big data, and then we have our panels, and we're able to calibrate that big data with panel data to have a true understanding of what America is watching. The big data represents about, you know, 40 million homes, give or take, and then again calibrating it with that 41,000 households. The reason we do that is because we know who are in those 41,000 households. We have walked in, we speak with the families, we know who's there, we know um, what their family structure is like. And so when we have that information, we can build models and apply them to big data in such a way that we have a really good understanding, along with other identity providers that we have for that big data, because it takes some time to figure out information about those 40 million households. But we do this importantly with great care and with a lot of rigor and discipline. It can be done a lot of ways, like anything at home, right? You can do things in a lot of ways, but it is important to us and to the industry that we do this with rigor and with discipline. And that's why today our 41,000 person panel is accredited by the MRC, which is a third party accrediting organization. Our big data procedures are in the process of accreditation, how we model and, you know, assign for that that 40 million households I talked about. But the community shouldn't think that we don't put a lot of thought and effort. We're also continuously improving that work. You know, we know that like in life, you know, things can always be improved upon and that thing, we, we need to stay contemporary with the time. So to that note, and things like ensuring that we have data points from people who have different gender identities or that uh, are, you know, are, are LGBTQ and and want to self-identify as such. So we're, we're working really hard to ensure all of our data is intersectional and that people also have the privacy that they want when self-reporting identity.
0: That's so important that you just mentioned kind of capturing not just the Latino community as a diverse population, but the diversity within our population Talk about that a little bit to make sure that you're getting it right. Sure. To capture that one out of five Latinos identifies as Afro-Latino or as you mentioned, the LGBTQ plus community or my kids are Latino Filipino. So they're Asian Latinos. That's so important in that breakdown because you see politically and I would imagine in terms of the content that we watch, there's a lot of diversity within our community. We're not lumped in as one community in terms of our wants and our needs
1: there's some really cool things we do we've been talking a lot about you know the media measurement but some of the other things that my team has advanced upon we sit in the in the deni group and we know that there are sentiments uh, around content around storylines and themes and around representation that isn't necessarily captured in a quantitative format, that's qualitative data. Mm -hmm. And so we have had the privilege of going out and doing additional research around sentiment data. And that's some of what's going to be in our report that's coming out in Hispanic Heritage Month this year, 2023. But an important part when we started that work is to allow people, and I hate to even say the word allow, there's an opportunity for people to identify in any way they so choose. Because for us, what is important is capturing what people watch and what their preferences are and their sentiments. And so we don't want to have that be bound by how someone identifies. Now, some of the challenge, if we're thinking back to the measurement part, is that census only collects data, data in very specific ways, which makes it hard for any media company anywhere, or not just media, any any company anywhere that uses census as a basis platform. So that's why these other measures are so important within our Scarborough, which is our lifestyle and consumer behavior service. People can identify in any way. And as a point of, of reference, I think it's it's very important. They don't have to identify within a bucket of LGBTQ plus, as an example, they can identify as a, a lesbian woman, they can identify as a transgender man. So you don't have to Bucket, uh, you know, into these broad buckets, and when it comes to the Latino community, our community, as you mentioned, is younger and is much more fluid and expressive around gender identity and around sexual orientation. And so, we want to be able to capture the breadth of that to help us understand if there's a difference in viewing patterns or how brands might be able to create creative that speaks more to this younger generation that is so open and and accepting and so. And so progressive in this space. So we that this is absolutely a focus for us, and we want to be sure that people can identify as they choose within our surveys. Uh, one of the fascinating things, including that think, racially, and, including racial, absolutely. You, we have, uh, and I sorry to address that earlier. You mentioned um, Afro Latinos absolutely this is some work that we did last year but people can identify with both race and ethnicity and and they can actually do it in multiple manners and you know in a lot of our survey-based work so you can identify as being black and asian we did this piece of work earlier in the year on blasians which we thought was really cool and interesting and because they're in and of itself are potentially a um, different behaviors or more importantly people want to feel represented and when you box them in so to speak when they can only select perhaps one race or one identity we know from our last report that overall on census there was something like a 567% increase in people identifying with multiple races and so as the community our community you know people we live with and around are more and more identifying with other parts of their cultural makeup. We want to be able to reflect that appropriately in our surveys.
0: Census take note.
1: Census take note. So we're actually, we're doing some work (laughs) on the side with um, some advocacy groups to ensure that the message is getting where it needs to with census. And I'll say that very casually, much like we did with the citizenship question, as I mentioned before 2020. And census is actually doing some homework too. They have some new work they've done around uh, Pulse surveys and other that where they're experimenting with asking people their expanded gender identities and sexual orientation. And we think that's a really a really positive move toward oh, being yeah. able to better reflect society.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. And that way you get the resources that you need. That's true. So, Stacy, I know that this report won't be available till September 7th. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm very grateful that you're on here and can give us a preview, a preview of mm-hmm. some of the data that you found. But I am very, very curious as to what you found, especially when you were holding up the report, your last report. Mm-hmm. What are some of the shifts? So first of all, give us some highlights. It's because – but. But it's the Hispanic Audiences in Focus, Understanding Media Consumption and Brand Trust. Again, we'll be out on September 7th. But I want to know what some of the trends you found, what some of the findings were. So let me turn you loose and then I'll probably throw some questions in there based on what you tell me.
1: So I'll give you some high level things and thank you for the chance to talk about it. If you are listening to this podcast right when it comes out, you might have to wait just a little bit, but hopefully this will give you an appetizer of what's to come. And please go download it on September 7th. It is free and you don't need to give us any of your details to download it. We have removed that accessibility barrier. I know for many folks, um, they just don't want to put their email address in. And we know that your email isn't me at 123.com. So. You can just go ahead in there <laughs> and you can download it and enjoy it and use it uh, and sh- and feel free to share it. Easy to find at Nielsen.com on any of my socials as well. I'll be posting it. So last year we shared and, and I mentioned that streaming was 43.6% of Latinos overall TV consumption, right? So this year it's at 49%. So when one year streaming is now half of all of TV consumption for Latinos And that doesn't mean that broadcast television has any less value. In fact, um, uh, Latinos reported that uh, broadcast television, particularly in Spanish, is extremely credible and trustworthy and one of the key places that Latinos go for appointment television. So think of all of the things this year coming and, and forthcoming that are really owned by Spanish language television um, you know, Women's World Cup, all, all these uh, you know amazing resources and shows. So, streaming television in general is still very popular. A bit of a distribution uh, has changed around streaming over broadcasting cable. But what I think is important there is when you look at streaming, that too has shifted. So, for that, there's a a, a bunch of fancy acronyms we have for for streaming. The first one is subscription video on demand, and that is anything that's subscription-based. So think Netflix and Prime Video. And then we have ad-based video on demand, which is Hulu, Peacock, Paramount Plus. Then there's free video on demand, which we call FVOD. And that's going to be like YouTube or or maybe PBS. And then there's free ad-supported, uh, which is Fast TV and that's 2B and, and Freebie. But the point of all of that is that increasingly Latinos are drawn to streaming. So what we wanted to uncover in the report is a very simple answer uh, to why is that. Is it because we're younger? Is it because there's more things that are being offered on streaming that speak to us? Is it because we're more mobile and we're watching more content on our, on devices that are moving? Is it because there is more inclusion in streaming content? Is it because we have a level of trust that is enhanced when we can, you know, be more selective about the content that we're going to watch? And if we are selecting that content out of this level of trust, are the brands that are within that content? Is there sort of a higher ROI at reaching us because they're within content that's, you know, has this um, like higher level of self-selection if that makes sense. So that's kind of what we're uncovering. It's the evolving media landscape, the burgeoning opportunity with the Hispanic market, and a good understanding of how brands can align with Hispanic consumers consumption preferences and really tailor their advertising content or strategy to meet the community's needs and values. So it is a bit of a combination Antonio of like uh what what we often talk about which is you know family values, trust signaling, like insights around sentiment and and what it is about content that is meaningful and why Latinos are drawn to it along with some of the hard quantitative statistics around what Latinos are watching more and we're marrying these together to help us understand why there is more watching here, and these are the reasons behind the sentiment, behind the shift in watching. Okay. I hope that makes some sense. We also cover one thing that I think is really interesting in the report that we wanted to uncover, and this is again a testament to Veronica, who came to us through uh, Hispanic Heritage Foundation. Uh, She had this idea, we were talking a few months ago, about about trust and trust via platform. So whether or not, for example, if you are going to get information on, um, on beauty, right? And you are a Latina and you want to learn more about what's happening in the beauty market and you want to, to look at a specific brand and how, how the brand is being used. What is your first point of entry or your first, the first place you're going to learn about that specific brand or that product? And I think we, you know, we understand today that to be TikTok. Like that's your first stop. That's where you're going. You're not going to see what's happening with the brand on Instagram. You're not necessarily going to the brand website. You're going to TikTok. How about
0: HHS sponsor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're going straight to TikTok and you're going to watch, you know, user generated content or other content. And there are often brand advertising right in between that. That's the first place you're going because you have a level of trust Because that the the product in this case or, you know, is being brought to you potentially, most likely by someone that you're following or someone that you have a trust relationship with. So your level of trust with that product is going to be higher. So the idea was to look at different platforms and how there are different levels of trust that are afforded to brands that are within those platforms where Latinos are most drawn to based on their and Latinos, like sort of personal preferences and personal experiences. It's a bit complicated, but I'm really excited because we were able to um, unravel a lot of that within the report that can help brands understand where is the best placement for them based on, um, you know, uh, the generation of Latinos they're trying to reach. So we have some really cool generational data in the report too.
0: And the importance of influencers. A hundred percent. That's who you trust from the start to, to go on to TikTok. Can you talk about Some of those influencers and how that relates to the whole scope of this, of brands and who those ambassadors are that have become more important than ever. It used to be you'd hire someone to do a beer commercial or something, and that was it. But now it's somebody that a lot of times you've never heard of. And then you look at how many followers they have and followers specifically within certain age groups whether it's Generation Z and then Generation Alpha. Can you talk about how the younger Latinos differ as consumers than even millennials?
1: Absolutely. One thing I want to tee up with, though, is first to say that influencers, uh, you know, when we talk about, about who are influencers, I think our minds automatically go to TikTok or go to Instagram. But we have to remember some of the data that we saw actually tell us that People are largely influenced by Latino programming. So in this case, as an example, some of the highest Hmm. trust ratings we saw were for Spanish language news, which is really interesting, especially considering the seasons that are forthcoming. It's very high trust markers there. Um, But to speak about the younger generation, so we can talk a little bit about Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I have two Gen Zers and a Gen Alpha of course born in the early 2010s and onward media consumption habits so obviously streaming and online content very heavily leaning towards streaming uh, streaming platforms interestingly when you think about that you're like okay you know Netflix YouTube Hulu yes absolutely but also consuming on uh, and spending a lot of time on other platforms, so whether it's Twitch or Discord, there's a lot mm-hmm. of other places that uh, Latinos are sharing and viewing content. Sometimes outside of what we would think of as, um, you know, linear television, but still, still deeply connected. Social media and social media influencers very highly ranked for this community, mostly because of the trust factor. But what we find that's so interesting is that. Younger Latinos are definitely creating a circle of trust that is, well, I wish I had a graphic for this. You're, this is such a, a cool idea. But their circle of trust is this really interesting Venn diagram of, of family and friends, of a certain group of social influencers, a certain group of brands who there's high trust with because brands have engaged with them directly and authentically. Absolutely. And that's interesting because you you we don't necessarily think of brands in that way, but certainly in this Venn diagram. We explore a little bit of that within the report, although it focuses mostly on media and entertainment and certainly gaming and virtual worlds for Gen Z and Gen Alpha are are really important engagement with online gaming and, you know, for a place where we're not only connecting with friends, but also, you know, brands certainly have an opportunity to be in those spaces as well. And there are differences in media habits for younger and older Latinos and differences in trust signaling. I mentioned there's this part in the report where we talk about, um, generations and how different generations feel in terms of trust with Spanish language media and media in general. And it's really interesting to see that overall Spanish language media ranks very high for trust, which I think is indicative of the commitment Spanish language media has made to the community beyond just serving up content, right? I mean, when you're looking at the providers in this space, whether it's Telemundo, Univision, I mean, Canela, who's a streaming channel, You know, whoever, uh, Estrella, there is this dual commitment that is understood by both the community and the platform in terms of a responsibility to each other. I think it's really fascinating. All of those that I shared have community resources, places for people to understand more information. And it's not about a language barrier as much as it about this incredible trust that's already been developed. And so brands that are in those spaces certainly, you know, can leverage that trust that has already been developed by those platforms. We see a generational difference there for Spanish language media and um, I guess what I would call general market media and older Latinos certainly having, you know, higher trust and younger Latinos that trust is developing as you would expect it to be over time. There's a lot in the report. We've broken it down in a lot of different ways, and I'm really proud of it. I'm proud that we're bringing work to the community that is, you know, beyond. It it has utility, of course, for brands and advertisers, but it also has utility for students and for academics and for advocacy groups who want to better understand the strength of our position uh, as a community within the United States.
0: And for nonprofits like mine as well, as I mentioned earlier, it's at literally our salvo that we can use. But back to youth, can you talk about also the complexities of our community and ha- how that relates to their consumer trends? Like we talked about being young and are we, are young people, for instance, I've got a 12 year old, uh, 15-year-old and just recently turned 18-year-old. How much more loyal, for instance, are they to brands than a millennial and then versus somebody who's generation X? How has that changed? And I know we did a study with h code during COVID, mm-hmm. which found that Latinos actually were less Brand loyal. That was always, I remember that from when I was younger growing up in PR and marketing. It was always, we are the most brand loyal. We don't ask for a tissue. We ask for Kleenex or for Mm -hmm. a, a Coke versus a soda. Even if we're talking about something else, you know, we're very brand loyal how we address things. That changed during COVID according according to what we did because people were trying to survive. And look, I'm thinking inflation probably has had something to do with that as well. So can you talk about that first intergenerationally brand loyalty? And then the second, during COVID and inflation period that went right into it, are we as loyal to those brands as we were before?
1: You're right. We are very brand loyal. And frankly, we always have been. I'll talk a little bit about what happened during COVID, which you're on to something there. But we are very brand loyal and we do ask for things by name. And that is uh, and also one of the things we reveal in our report is around the importance of word of mouth recommendations. And we we know this to be true. But when you have data behind it, it makes it so much more powerful.
0: Well, especially when the word of mouth is now projected to millions Mm -hmm. over TikTok.
1: So uh, absolutely yes on that. What I think happened during COVID, and this is my opinion, there were a few brands who had worked hard at developing that trust. And then there are many others who just got it by default. But as an example, we asked for Kleenex by by name, not because there was a really strong connection with the community and they've been present and part of the struggle and speaking on behalf and investing in the community. But as an example, it's because That's what we are familiar with. That's what we bought. That's what we loved, right? And so I think what happened during COVID is part of it being the stress, the economic stress that people were feeling. And part of it was this realization, as we all had in that summer after 2020, uh, uh, you know, the the murder of George Floyd, the the realization everyone had around whether or not people were genuinely walking a journey with us. So that is to say that I think a lot of the loyalty that some brands were extended were just kind of as a matter of fact. And I think our community kind of revisited our roots around who's been with us, who's been on this journey with us, and who's been effectively engaged with us and building with and for us. And, you know, and, and that is the shift that we saw perhaps at that time. And that's my opinion. I say that because it perhaps was my experience a little bit as well. I will say Latinos are still incredibly loyal when a brand is there and is present. The difference is today consumers in particular, young Latinos who are, are young, they're part of, you know, a movement of uh, authenticity and representation are holding brands accountable in a way the generation before them did not. So that's what I think we saw um, as a result of the work you did with H code was that the community was like, that's okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. But is my 12-year-old as brand loyal as a as my 18-year-old and as their and as a 40-year-old as no, their mom that's
1: going to be very different
0: cuz i d- will say this my 12-year-old it's weird because i'm the biggest focus group we all have is in our homes and we were just talking about our kids so beyond the report which helps add a lot of context and depth and breadth Ultimately, the greatest focus group we all have is our own lives and our own families. And my 12-year-old Altita will need to buy a certain brand in terms of makeup and an influencers that she sees on TikTok that was doing some kind of presentation is going to have a huge influence on her getting exactly that. And it has to be from this store. My 15-year-old boy, for the most part, is just looking for something cool to wear. Not necessarily that it has to be a specific brand. Uh, Besides maybe shoes, those have to be Chuck Taylors. My 18-year-old is somewhere in between. When she was younger, it was very specific to what all her friends were getting and it had to be a particular brand. Now it's more of what looks cool, what is most affordable. And she goes on Amazon or other sites, Target, all these other places that she goes to make sure that she's getting the look that she's getting, but not necessarily a specific brand. So that's where I was asking. And the mom is going to have a whole different set of circumstances that might be more economical, in terms of what makes the most sense, but as a treat, get someone a very specific brand because she knows that's what they want even if it doesn't fit necessarily within the budget.
1: And I think what's interesting about what you're saying is what I've noticed is that the criteria for that loyalty is different for every age, right? So as you mentioned, your youngest wants a very specific brand, a very specific look, and I've dealt with this with my youngest, and I'm like, this is the same thing. Like, what's the difference? But it, gender makes a
0: difference too, it, by the way. It
1: makes a difference, and my youngest will also say, "Well, it's." I also want to make sure that it's not tested on animals or that it has the yes. other. The other There's thing, a I value
0: see- system as a consumer that wasn't necessarily there when 100%. I was young.
1: We've been exploring this as well. This is really interesting, and I and I see our younger generations having different value systems entirely than older, where it's not all about economics for older generations. There are certainly, you know, importances in brand loyalty as well, but there are different things that are driving younger generations. Sustainability is the next thing I think that Mm -hmm. um, is going to be a huge topic of conversation among our community. I think it's going to largely be driven, as you're suggesting, from maybe younger generations sort of pushing that messaging up. Sustainability, environmental concerns, our younger generations, in particular Latinos, who are oftentimes, or we know already, are most among the most impacted, um, are going to be driving those up. And it's going to impact brands. Brands are going to be held accountable um, by our community for their sustainable p- practices 100%.
0: I couldn't agree more. There is a value system in place with consumers that wasn't necessarily there before but more and more is. And whether you agree with those values or not is what we're seeing right now. But it is value-based decisions in, in terms of some of the controversies that we've seen with different companies. And so it's entered into the data that you're collecting. All right, so I want to talk about how we can come together. We talked about some of the differences within the Latino community, which we celebrate. And you help us better understand those through your work and through our work, through our identity, Charles and everything else, the more we understand about each other and our differences. Um, but we also need to understand those similarities and bring people together. So one of the things that we do is to create a space to find comfort and connection to bring us together, swimming in that complexity of our culture. So I want to ask you, and I ask this of every guest I've had, what is the song that brings you comfort? Is it a something your abuelita used to hum or your mom used to sing? Or is it a song that you would come on the radio when you were a kid and made you think of driving around with your dad? So one is a song. The other is food and smells, you know? What is the food or the preparation that makes you think, wow, this brings me back to that feeling of comfort when I would smell this food? And lastly, in media... (laughs) what is that show that you will watch no matter how many times is on, even if you're in the middle of it, that weirdly can bring us comfort too, where you just kind of are settled in and something pops up or you put it on because you want to lose yourself in that moment and you find comfort in that particular show. So song, food, smells, or show or movie.
1: All right. So, uh, first I'll start with food. Uh, my mom, is the, my entire family agrees, the best Cuban cook <laughs> that there ever has been, at least in our family. And what's interesting is my mom's actually not Cuban. My mom is married into the family, but uh, my mom did meet and marry my dad when, when she met him when she was 15, married him when she was 17. And um, was, so, you know, subsequently sort of adopted by and the family and has had, you know, more years being a Cuban uh uh, Daughter in law than she ever had, not being one, and so she is. Everyone is just like let let her cook it. I mean, she's amazing. So everything she cooks uh, is is fantastic. But I think the very favorite, this is going to sound so basic, but the very favorite thing that I love that she makes is her arroz con pollo is is the best. Uh, my son would argue and say that it's her vaca frita, but I, I actually think it's her arroz con pollo. Oh, and vaca it's something in the so way. Good. He loves it. He, every, I mean, and like crispy. And I mean, I, I agree that it does, it is amazing. But this meal, and I remember eating it just, just growing up and it because my mom was a working mom too. And so she would make it in the crock pot. And we'd come home from school, and it would be ready from doing it slow cook all day. And we would pull out the bay leaves, <laughs> and uh, uh, and and just the peas, and the way it looks and, and smells, and the 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 saffron that she used, and this like it 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 just it's so much different than any I've ever tasted anywhere. And I have of course ordered it in many places. So that um, and her yuca, I think, are the two. But certainly that and just yuka, being around it. soft
0: or yuca frita.
1: No, you got like boiled, and then like it's not yeah. really, yeah, soft.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's how they make it in Nicaragua too. It's it, and they so would put good. the ensalada and her on top tostones. Of
1: it. I will also say her tostones are the best. I mean, maduros are great, but they're too sweet for me. So I don't know. I guess anything might see. It's going to be hard, but I would say definitely that meal is like.
0: Do you know how to cook it?
1: Well, I know how to make tostones, uh, and and yuca, but, the, but, but uh, arroz, I know arroz I didn't learn because now if I want it. I'll ask her and you know how I i, I was going to say Latina mom. She's not Latina, as I said, but how mom, she'll make it and bring it to me anytime I want <laughs> me, and my kids. So I've never made the effort, but I need to, she got me her cook. She gave me a version of the cookbook that she used growing up with my grandmother, uh, which is Clarita's Cocina. And I have uh, a, a version, I think from the late seventies, it's an older cookbook and I have it and it is on my counter. Uh, but I have yet to make this specific recipe because she is there to make it for me still.
0: Oh, see, that's yes. the blessing of having your mom in your life is yes. All right. Song,
1: uh, song. So I, um, I don't know that I have one that is it, well, there are a couple of artists, I actually looked at my playlist and I'm like, what are, because you know, your playlist you listen to just sort of all the time. There are a couple of artists that really remind me of this important period in my life when I did, um, I studied abroad in high school and then again, several times in college. And then also later in life, I've every chance I've had the opportunity to go to a Spanish speaking country, I have taken it. Um, and so in high school, I studied in, um, in Jalapa in Veracruz when I was my junior year. And a portion of my junior year. And I was reflecting back to like these every once in a while, I'll hear these songs that um, are from that time period that uh, just remind me of of what like a wonderful awakening that was. And of course, Mana is a, a big part of that. And, um, but, but, and of course, you know, Oye Mi Amor, whatever, like everyone hears that everywhere and everyone always sings it all the time. But what I'm listening to right now that reminds me of, uh, that, that I I cannot get off ever is, um, uh, Julieta Venegas. I love her. Okay. She's coming to LA in November or it's, it's October, November. I already bought the tickets. Highly recommend. Um, and I just, something about her just makes me feel like like I'm in my twenties and like, I'm, oh, I'm even getting emotional thinking about it. Like just how close I felt at that time to like language and culture. And that was like my boomerang when I was like, this is, this is who I am. And I had like my own personal like awakening around that. I had just come back from studying at that time, um, doing a semester abroad. And I was just like, I This is just, I went to work at um, at a bank in, in Pomona, California, largely Latino community, and I worked all in Spanish with all the clients there for like two years, and I just loved it so much. And so that that period of my life is like her. Uh, and then if anyone's looking for someone current, I would say Leo Rizzi. Love him. He's out of Ibiza. So anyway, Ibiza. I have to as hear that. Say.
0: But, but Limoni Sal.
1: Oh, five, stop it. Seven, That's my favorite. It's on repeat right now.
0: <laughs> it is so good. And we had her, shout out Connor, um, who's here on the podcast. We had her for our Hispanic Heritage Awards last year.
1: Oh my gosh, on the TV stop show. it. So
0: I'll send you the performance that she had, but she's awesome. I I don't usually weigh in on this, but like I said, you're pulling me into this. There's a song by Carla Morrison that makes me want to cry or fall in love or both. It is. It brings me such unbelievable comfort, and I'm going to text it to you after this. So there are so many of those artists that low-key pull at every fiber of your emotions, mm-hmm. and that's awesome.
1: That So that's her for me, and it's actually, that's the album. That's the album.
0: That's the album. Okay, that, but see? also
1: Lento, which is, I think, from uh, the album before, but that album is the album.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's the one for me, too, for Julieta Venegas. All right, so... Lastly, media person, tell us, what are the shows? And are you streaming or watching on TV? Because you might be like a, like, like, like a Generations Xer or well, Zer. Well, when you have Which kids one?
1: that are, when you have kids that are Gen Zers, you get pulled into what they do. So I, I do stream a lot and I, you know, Casa de Papel, like my, you know, I'm, that stuff. Yes. But if you're asking for a movie along the same lines, as what we talked about before that really draws me in same yeah. time period of my life. Um, Como Agua para Chocolate is a, an amazing oh, movie. I love that movie. And uh, I loved it when I saw it. And every time, like, I have to stop and just, you know, reabsorb it. And um, same thing. Like, that. it's all about that timing. It was just a, a really personal. If I look back, that's when I think I became like me. I found myself. And it was all centered, you know, around at that time, like, rediscovering my identity you know etc
0: that is so great that is such a great fritanga answer that you just gave us on all three heartfelt connected the same reason why we are all so lucky to have Stacy De Armas in the position she is in which is a leadership position in terms of making sure that our community is represented so thank you for that Stacy I appreciate Santa. you being on this podcast and I appreciate your friendship that'll keep going long after this podcast.
1: Gracias.